Hello, and welcome to the CEO Blindspot Show, where leaders lead leaders. I'm your host, Birgit Camps, and today's guest is Todd Bolsinger, who founded the Fuller Leadership Platform. And that was a significant organizational change in graduate seminary education. And Todd, you're also an author. You've been a pastor. One of your recent books sold over 95,000 copies, and you're about to have another book. And I noticed you had an online PDF called Leadership for a Time of Pandemic. So it's perfect that, of course, you're our guest at this time. And I'm going to turn the show over to you in a minute because, of course, it sounds like you have never failed at anything. And it also sounds like you have had some amazing successes in so many different areas of life, besides also being married still to Beth for. 32 years and having two great kids. So Todd, you have been a leader in your life and you are seeing a lot of things going on right now. Did you ever have a blind spot? Oh gosh. <laughs> I think the only thing I'm good at is now is uh, listening to wise friends and letting them point out my blind spots. So I, I think my biggest strategic advantage as a leader now is being able to more joyfully accept the responsibility for places that I couldn't see for a lot of years. So yeah, I love the premise of your show, by the way. I think many people in leadership um, don't realize just how far they go with blind spots. It's, it's like we were just lucky that nobody was ever in our blind spots while we're driving along in a car. We didn't have to swerve much. Then all of a sudden the day shows up and you find yourself an offender vendor and you have to start asking whole new questions. Yeah. And one of the things you said is that you were listening to others about your blind spot. What is an example of one you discovered? I think probably the most significant blind spot I've learned in the last several years, especially as the world has begun to speed up. You know, like this notion of how different it is to lead in a time of change than it is to lead when you're in a time of relative consistency, right? So if you're doing mostly management work and you're efficient and you're organized and you work hard, and then most of the time you're, you're doing well, people are happy, you're succeeding. And then all of a sudden you get into a time of rapid change like we've been in recently and you realize the giant problem is that what got you here won't take you there, right? The giant leadership problem is that the world in front of you is nothing like the world behind you and you were an expert in the world behind you. And so what we do in times of change is we tend to default back to what is most familiar and oftentimes those strategies are just not working. One of my favorite quotes somebody taught me was that Eric Hopper said, you know, in times of change, learners inherit the earth but the learned find themselves beautifully equipped for a world that no longer exists. And that's really what happened. I was beautifully equipped for a world that was passing away and now beginning to start to ask myself what it would require of me. And it, what it required me was to become a learner all over again. And, and that's a hard thing to do when you're, you know, a relatively professionally successful person, you know, in my 50s and now asking questions about having to learn to lead all over again. Yeah. In fact, you're on your third new initiative for Fuller Education now, aren't you? I am. Yeah. It's actually been one of the biggest changes. So if you think about this, I spent the first 10 years in one church setting. It was a really robust urban setting that was really interesting. And I learned a lot. And then 17 years, I was a pastor of a church in a wonderful little town. And it was, you know, mostly it was the opportunity to keep building it into a healthy community, a healthy organization, fulfilling the mission that we believed that we had. And then all of a sudden, we found myself in a completely different context where things were changing rapidly. And I was having to learn how to be a person who could rapidly innovate and change. And so for the last seven years, now I'm on my third initiative, and I'm beginning to learn how to do that. A bit. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, uh, since I've known you, I know you're very humble and always looking at what it is that you don't know rather than relying on everything you do know. You founded the Fuller Leadership Platform back when, when organizations didn't know they would end up in a crisis if they didn't go online. What at the time made you interested in, in pursuing that and what revelations did you have? <laughs> Yeah, so I work at a seminary, Fuller Theological Seminary, which is one of the largest seminaries in the world, actually. Most seminaries or graduate programs have like, you know, 200 students. We had 4,000. But we found ourselves in a place where, like many even larger companies or larger organizations, declining. Uh, As the church was changing, its need for seminary education that was traditional was changing. And you started finding that there was a lot of folks who wanted, you know, education and formation and leadership development, but they didn't need as many initials after their names, and they certainly weren't willing to take on the debt the graduate school brought to people who were trying to serve in nonprofits or serve in church environments. So we had to start thinking differently about leadership and and about formation and education. And we began to look at the online platform as an opportunity to do so at Yale and to do so by really helping people. You know, they didn't have to pick up and move to Los Angeles, which is a really expensive community. And all of a sudden we found we had these opportunities to serve people literally in lots of different communities all over the world. But it meant changing the entire way we teach. And, you know, for most most people my age and most people, I, I have a PhD and I'm a professor, you know, we're talking heads. We're really good at lecturing. That's what, you know, we write and we lecture. So all of a sudden now being in an online environment, I had to learn to teach all over again and then started an entire uh, endeavor for trying to make that available to people at Yale that would be able to serve folks. But it, it meant a lot of change. And most experts are not great at change. That's, that's like one of the big, I'm talking about CEO blind spots. Most leaders become leaders because they were really successful. And then the hardest part is when you step into leadership, you're a learner all over again. Like I always say, tell my students, you know, you don't start learning to lead until you are leading. And so the experience is like going from a place of being a great expert contributor to all of a sudden being the team leader. And it's a totally different experience. And your expertise isn't as relevant at that moment. Yeah. And I love how you also highlight that point in your book, uh, Canoeing in the Mountains, you know, Christian leadership in uncharted territory. The So Lewis and Clark, you could say were experts in what they thought they were going to do. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is not a river. <laughs> yeah. So, so imagine this. You are, you're literally trying to find a water route that everybody's been looking for for 300 years, a water route that would connect the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean, that would connect the resources of Asia to the people, the markets, if you will, in Europe. And everybody's been looking for a water route. So you send expert water navigators to go find the water route. And then, of course, the big part of their story is they come up to the top of the Lemhi Pass expecting to find a river on the other side and they find the Rocky Mount. And so you can be the best canoer possible, but if there isn't a river, paddling harder doesn't help you. And so what you really find is they have to lead totally differently now that they're in the mountains than they were when they're in the river. And that includes having to learn as they go and having to listen to people that they weren't used to listening to, like the Kaguya, a Native American teenage nursing mother, and learning how to have, go through loss. Like, like if you built those canoes with your hands, pretty bad when you've got to like turn them into firewood right on the side of the mountain. And many leaders find themselves in that kind of place today, learning, having to listen to people that they're not used to listening to, learn from people they're not used to learning from face losses um, as a way of leading forward. It's a challenge. 
Yeah, it's not just a, a challenge temporarily, right? I think you even had a, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you had a webinar called Resilience in a Permanent Crisis. Yeah, so I started doing this work on leadership formation because I was working mostly with pastors and nonprofit leaders. And what I found is they would say to me, you know, I got a great education, but my education didn't prepare me for this world I'm in. And they realized they had to become learners immediately and start all over. You know, it wasn't about going back to school, it was learning on the job. Mm-hmm. Well, then I wrote the book, Canoeing the Mountains, which was really about adaptive leadership. And then what I found is they started saying to me, well, I think I can learn this. I'm just not sure I can survive this. Hmm. Because what really is hard about adaptive leadership isn't the changing terrain in front of you. It's that the people that went on the journey didn't expect to go through this. (laughs) They thought you would lead them successfully to the next age. And now you have to tell them, oh, by the way, folks, get out of the boat. We're going to walk. You didn't expect to. Hey, we're going to keep going because even if there's no water route, we're going to discover a whole new world. And yeah, let's get going. And and it takes a kind of resilience to face the deep disappointment of your own people. And that's the biggest challenge for leadership. It's not the world around you. It's how do you keep your team mobilized and motivated for the challenge in front of you? Well, you're right. You know, and everybody's uh, not everybody, but a lot of people are burned out. People that are Mm -hmm. working are working more than ever. And I know that you know this because you're dealing with pastors now who probably are high at risk of burnout. Is that your experience or what would you say? about? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So imagine this: you get into this work because you have a deep conviction that you care deeply about people. Right. So most pastors are people, people right? And you care about God and you want to introduce people to God. Well, God's still there, but the way you relate to people has changed totally. So instead of being able to hold their hands, pray with them, care with them, meet in your office, take long walks, talk about the things of the soul, you find yourself on Zoom calls. You can't lead worship services. I mean, imagine this. You can't sing. Like some of the most uplifting things for most people of faith is to gather the faithful together and sing. And you can't sing. I work with pastors who said to me, the hardest decision I thought I would ever make was when we decided that we were not going to have regular Easter services and we we're going to have them online. Like we, somebody said to me, we had to cancel Easter, right? He yeah. said, no, that was, that was easy compared to today. Today, what's really hard is what do you do with people who can't agree on what safety is in terms of when we gather again in the worship services again? Now people are divided. Some want to meet, some don't, some are afraid. Some are shaming of the people who are afraid. People believe that wearing a mask is a political action. It's just so divided, right? Mm. And that, that is the soul-sucking thing. That is the most painful thing. That's, yeah. that's the experience that is so hard for most. Yeah. So how much resilience does one need? You know, with that, yeah. uh, isn't that your next book? How does that tie in? Yeah. So my next book is called Tempered Resilience. And it's really about the notion that we think about steel, that you need to be tempered steel, like a chisel. You know, you're not, you can't be a sledgehammer that bashes your way through resistance, but you want to be able to be a tool that can, um, using it's a great line from Martin Luther King Jr. Dr. King said, we need to hew out of a mountain of despair, stones of hope. Mm -hmm. And I love this idea. What does it mean to become a tool that can hew, that can literally transform despair into something you can build, stones of hope that you can build something great out of. And that takes resilience. And that take that resilience comes through not only deep reflection and humility about learning, but it also comes from having solid relationships. And then sets of practices to shape your capacity for both flexibility and strength in the right balance. Yeah. You have experience both in the church and in education. And mm-hmm. I'm so looking forward to, to reading the book and seeing how this will you know, help so many leaders. Because back to your point about there's so much divi- 
division going on right now. Companies trying to decide what to do. Parents trying to decide what to do. Any blind spots you have seen there? Yeah. If you're leading into the unknown, then one of the hardest things is to stand before people and say, we know we have to move forward. And right now we do not know what to do. We don't have a perfect plan worked out. So what we're going to do is come together and figure out the plan as we go. And we're going to be as honest about that as we can. Because the only way you gain trust for the journey is for people to trust you. Not that you're perfect, but that you're trustworthy. And so one of the problems we have that's happening right now throughout our country is all the different mixed messages make people not trust what they're hearing. And so one of the hardest things for leaders is to have a very consistent message of, as we learn things, we will tell you the truth. We will be really upfront about it. We'll also be clear about what we don't know for sure. And as we get more data and as we know more, we'll update that and we'll tell you. And that's a very hard thing to do. I mean, if you're a parent and you've been thinking, all I've been waiting for is September so like my kids can go back to school and now you're told the bad news that it's not going to happen, that's really disappointing. But the sooner that you can make that decision, the more you can prepare for it. Yeah. And, you know, instead of a canoe, we all need to make it into online now, right? So a lot of leaders and people are struggling with how do I take all this online? You've experienced that yourself and you've succeeded. I think you said you had over 5,500 subscribers to the Fuller Leadership Platform and in terms of people interacting with the content experience, you're expecting it'll be over 300,000. Is that correct? Yeah, we started realizing that um, we have 4,000 students at the school. Now we're about 3,000. We've come down. We're about 3,000 students. But we started realizing that if we could be generous and if we could make our research available to people in different forms, we could actually have a much bigger reach. And so we have over 300,000 people a year interact with the research, the formation materials, the spiritual formation development, the leadership development materials out of our school. And we didn't even realize the impact we could have by just making the pivot to say it's not just about degrees, it's about actually forming people for a lifetime. And so we still do degrees. I mean, I got a master's and a PhD from Fuller. We still offer master's degrees and PhDs, but we also offer lots of resources for people at every walk of life, at every stage of life. And so it allows us to reframe our understanding of ourselves as an institution and opens up possibilities for many more. Great. So as we start to wrap up the show, one of the things I'm, of course, curious about is what has surprised you the most about leading people when you've been in that position? Yeah, so I think the most surprising part about leading people is how much people want their lives to be invested in something bigger than themselves. Everybody longs to leave a legacy. They long to be part of something bigger than themselves. And very often when we get anxious, we make our world small. And so the next thing we know is we are talking about small details about how do we hold on, how do we cling to, how do we hold on to power, influence, office politics, all those things. They just start to become incredibly soul-sucking. And I've started realizing that one of the things leaders have to do is to help people recognize that if you can give yourself to something bigger than yourself, the world will be expand. You'll get more opportunities. You'll have more people who want to connect with you. You'll have more potential opportunities. And it's very hard to do. It's very hard to be generous when you feel like the world is caving in on you. But we really long to be part of something bigger than ourselves. Yeah. And you were surprised by how much that really matters. I can't pay anybody market rate. And nobody comes to work for work with me because they want to make a, make a lot of money. <laughs> so I have to actually, I realize people, everybody, even the people who are on the payroll really are volunteers. And so what I've learned is everybody today is mobilizing volunteers. You're trying to mobilize people to give you their hearts and minds and not just their time. And the best leaders know how to do that. Wow. So as a leader yourself, how do you prevent from burnout? What is the habit you have to support you? 
Well, two things. One is I'm deeply committed to having a robust number of relationships. So I always say I need really good partners. I need really good mentors and I need really good friends. I need all of those. I need more relationships, not less, the more I, the more I lead. So I, you know, I need partners and people on my team that we can be arm in arm and work together. I need mentors. You're, you're one of them, very good. One, mentors and people who help me do better at what I do. And I need friends, people who care more about me than they care about what I accomplish. You know, right? I need people who care much more about me than about my mission. So the combination of all of those is really important. And those relationships are even more critical when we feel like we are disconnected from each other because of social distancing and sheltering in place. We need to keep figuring out how to have that robust set of relationships. Yeah, I'm grateful that uh, you have figured out how to keep leading and that you are now so committed to helping other leaders. And of course, like you said, the big crisis right now is in church and with pastors. So any other parting tips you want to give leaders or, or a specific place to point them to, and especially a leader who's never been through a crisis before, mm-hmm. what would you recommend there? Well, here's one way that I could serve them if they're interested. If they just send a text, if you just send the word uncharted, so I we talk about the fact that my work is in uncharted territory. So send the word uncharted to 66866, then you'll immediately get connected to a bunch of resources that my group at the Dupree Center for Leadership puts out and a bunch of the resources that we make available. And, and quite frankly, I can get your name and we can even connect. So uncharted to 66866, the best way to connect with us. Fabulous. Todd, thank you for who you are. Thank you for leading the way you do. And thank you listeners for continuing to lead during times of crisis when your leadership is critical and you're likely to be critically judged. Thank you, Birgit. It's nice to be with you.